Grace Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through His Word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, welcome to Grace Pod. Uh, we are looking at a big chunk, chapter 15, 22, right the way through to chapter 17. So we've come through the waters of the Red Sea. We're now in the wilderness and we're in God's school. We're, the, the Israelites are working out what it means to walk uh, with God. And it's one thing being relocated um, out of one place to another, but it's another thing altogether to learn to be God's people and to relate to him. And uh, we see a kind of big picture of God takes them into situations that are difficult. There's uh, a problem with water, so it tastes disgusting, and then a problem with bread there's or food, there's not enough, and then a problem where there's no water. And in each situation, God is um, teaching them lessons about himself. Um, so we're going to think a little bit about the big kind of overarching macro 30,000 feet picture of what we see, and then we're going to um, look at some detail in chapter 16. Andrew, can you talk us through what, what's common to all these episodes and what can we learn generally? So lots of things are, are the same um, each time. We we begin in the wilderness in each episode, so 15, 22, they're in the wilderness of Shur, and then 16 verse 1, they're in the wilderness of Sin, um, and then they come to a place called Rephidim. So they're in a different place each time. In each place, there's a shortage. You've already hinted at it, a shortage of drinking water, a shortage of food, a shortage of water again. In each case, the people grumble against Moses and against the Lord. So they're slow to trust God. At the first sign of a lack, all of their confidence in God evaporates, and pun intended. They suddenly think, um, it, which is crazy because like God's just delivered them through all these miraculous plagues and the, the parted of, of the Red Sea. They just sung about his faithfulness and yet immediately they doubt him. And I think it shows us that when we're, we're not very good at trusting about something we don't have now. What's the irony about him not being able to provide water given the immediate <laughs> background? Yes. He's quite good with, he can move water where he wishes. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, each time there's a, a grumbling, each time God provides miraculously. So contaminated water becomes drinkable by throwing in a bit of wood. doesn't normally work that way. Um, food appears by falling out the sky. Uh, we, we were thinking in our Bible study, we ought to have had quails and what's-its because um, manna in Hebrew, it means what is it? And although they're not cheesy flavoured, they're honey flavoured. Um, but yeah, this food suddenly appears out the sky. And then in the third episode, there's no water, but Moses hits a rock and a spring gushes forth from it. So there's a miraculous provision in each case. And then in each case, there's some sort of way of remembering this for future generations. So shortage, grumbling, miraculous provision, and then memorial. Um, It's worth thinking why it keeps happening. So before we zoom in on one particular episode, why do we get three episodes that are basically the same? And I think one thing is it shows us that God is persistently, consistently faithful. Like every time there's a need, he provides for it. And if you haven't learned it the first time, you should have learned it by the third time. But the other slightly troubling thing is it doesn't look like they do learn it by the third time because the, the Israelites make no obvious progress 
through the three episodes. In fact, it, it even gets worse. So when there's no water the first time, they go, what are we going to do? They're sort of panicking. But the third time when it happens, um, they say, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And Moses cries to the Lord saying, what am I going to do? They're ready to stone me. So far from increasing in trust, they're actually getting worse and worse. So God is increasingly persistently faithful. They are persistently faithless. And both things get commemorated. So their faithlessness gets commemorated by naming the place after their grumbling. So they call the place in chapter 17 Massa and Meribah, which means um, testing and quarrelling. You can imagine, you know, give your address. Where do you live? I live in Greenwich. Oh, um, which which street on in Greenwich? Oh, Wingeton Street, you know, or Grumblingville. Or, so th- they actually have to name the place to commemorate how faithless they were. But they also com- commemorate God's faithfulness in the middle episode because God provides manna and they keep some of the manna in a jar to think this is food that came miraculously out of heaven to provide for us. And I think that kind of tells us the macro picture what are we supposed to learn from this and remember from this? Well, God is faithful and we are faithless. Um, but actually, we aren't to think we're faithless and it doesn't matter because God's faithful. Because um, God is patient, but he's not infinitely patient. And this is just the last thing before I hand over to you, Andrew. But um, th- there's a, a little warning at the beginning, the first episode, chapter 17, where the Lord tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord and do what's right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. So what he's saying is, I treated Egyptians as enemies and I plagued them, and I treated you as friends and I healed you. And as long as you live as my people, it'll be that way round. But if you start living as Egyptians, I'm going to treat you as Egyptians. And it's slightly worrying that in these grumbles they start saying things like we'd rather be back in Egypt like really you want to be Egyptians and God keeps being faithful and they escape plagues but by the end of Exodus he does send a plague on the Israelites because of their sin and then in the book of Numbers the same thing happens again and they're in the same sort of places in the wilderness and the the same shortages of bread and water and they grumble again and a whole generation dies in the wilderness and when we get into the New Testament These chapters serve as a warning to us. Do not harden your hearts as they did, says Hebrews chapter 3. Or don't you realise that they all came through the Red Sea and yet they died in the wilderness, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So I think their grumbling is a real warning to the Christian not to make the mistake they made because even though God is patient again and again and again, we'll find there is a point when God's patience runs out. He's not infinitely patient. He is, in the words of Exodus itself, he is slow to anger. But that does not mean that he never angers. That's the big picture. Andrew, you focused in more on chapter 16 specifically. Yeah, so chapter 16 is the time when they're hungry, empty tummies, um, and God provides um, bread from heaven. And there's a few really significant lessons that he wants to teach them. Um, Firstly, um, one is about how grumbling works. Um, And they grumble against, well, against Moses and Aaron um, but then Moses and Aaron Moses responds uh, this is verse 8 um, the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him what are we your grumbling is not against us but against the Lord 
And it's a really important uh, lesson for us that um, the Lord is behind um, all the difficult episodes that they face. So even in chapter 14, when they, you know, as trapped between Pharaoh and the Red Sea or, or all of these situations, the Lord guides them into really sticky situations and he's sovereign over them in order that they might learn. He, he wants to test them and grow them in their faith. Um, and so all grumbling really, given that we have a God, sovereign God who leads us, is grumbling against the Lord. So what would be the equivalent in the church of a grumble against Moses, which is really a, a grumble against the Lord? Well, I think it's interesting for, for Christians, we often find a proxy. We find someone more immediate who we, whom we can grumble against. So it always sounds you know, unholy if we say, I hate you, Jesus, you're terrible, because that doesn't sound very Christian. Um, so we find our boss or we find, I mean, it can be a family member. It can be, I think sometimes um, some of the criticism um, that pastors face is well, is needed because they're acting badly. But sometimes they're just the nearest punch bag um, and people are crossed with God and, and the pastors are available. Um, and so we, we can find little proxies. We can find people, situations to grumble about um, but we need to remember that ultimately the Lord has, even even if there was, you know, idiots around me, um, the Lord put me in that position for my good and for my testing, not so that I test him. Um, and that's really significant. I think, you know, in so many situations pastorally, you know, somebody's in a difficult marriage or, you know, difficult situation at work and they say the issue is this, it's my spouse, it's my boss. Um, and the Christian wants to take a step back and say, yes, that is true but also the Lord has given you exactly the spouse that you need for your growth and exactly the boss you need and so your grumbling isn't actually helping what God is doing in your life it's hindering it and and just that perspective can be a real help. So this idea that God in these episodes is deliberately testing them that that comes up twice doesn't it in the the first and second episodes we discover it's a, a test to see whether they will walk in God's laws or in his statutes. So commandments are a test. And then, as you say, it's meant to be that God's testing us, but then in the third one, they flip it and they test God. Um, and actually God passes the test, but they, ought, they oughtn't be so presumptuous as to doubt him like that. Um, this idea that God tests us, maybe that's sort of uncomfortable. He's got out to make us trip up. And is it, is it some sort of exam that he's hoping that we won't pass? I mean, why, why is God doing that? Uh, yeah, I guess he's um, we're in his school and he's trying to develop and mature us. Yeah. How would you respond? Yeah. I th so, I mean, it's either is it, it is a, in some ways it is a pass fail test, is it? as in you in the end, if you won't trust God, you can't be his people. So it, it is a test that they can fail and that they do fail so that the later when they build the golden calf and God sends a plague and in numbers when they repeat all the same doubts and God um, they scatter in the wilderness they don't make it to the promised land I mean it, it really is a test you can fail and I think as a Christian we should hear that as a warning we shouldn't think oh it's fine sort of Jesus has passed a test for me I'm fine because the New Testament says to people who know Jesus their saviour be really careful about this so it is a real test in that way but then I guess in the life of the Christian who by the Holy Spirit is going to pass this test, as you say, it's a school that develops. You you get the opportunity to learn that you could have trusted God and next time maybe you will. Yeah. 
That's a good way to put it. Yeah, and and then um, we get this. Uh, the Lord just is so kind, and He just you know gives them as much bread as they could need, and they gather up, and they're all full. Um, but He gives them these little um, sort of tests to see if they will trust Him, even in that situation. Um, one of it, which is He says, "Don't hoard, don't be anxious about tomorrow, so that you hoard up and you know gather enough for six weeks because you think God's not going to provide." And of course, you know, it backfires and there's maggots because it doesn't keep till the next day. When you say that, don't be anxious about tomorrow, it sounds to me like you're echoing Jesus' words about this. Well, yeah, I wonder, I mean, when you read the um, the Sermon on the Mount, you, you get the impression there's various bits of the Bible that Jesus has been meditating on. And this would be one of them, because obviously in the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us today our daily bread, which is exactly what God does in Exodus 16 and and also the end of um, ex, um, Matthew 6 he says don't be anxious um, because you know you're the, the, the pagans run after all this stuff because they don't have a God who looks after them but we do so we 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 can trust the Lord and that thing about daily bread I mean we would like a week's worth of bread so at least I don't have to trust God for six days yeah. <laughs> but like every just enough for every day is you don't get to accumulate. You don't get to accumulate a defence against God's unfaithfulness. You know, you just have. You He has to come good every single time if you only have one day at a time, which we instinctively don't like. You know, that's why we like. I'd like to own a house, or I'd like a, I'd like loads of savings, or I'd like you know the security that comes from. It's okay if God doesn't show up because I can provide for myself for a bit. But there's no backup plan here. It's just it's got to be God each day. And I guess it depends who's looking after us. So my children, don't, I mean, they're like the queen. They don't carry cash. Um, they, and, and they don't worry about it because they know that there's someone who's probably going to take care of it. And um, if, if you're in a situation with, if there is a, a Lord who cares for you, then you can you can cope with it. But if you, if you don't really trust that there is a God like that, then it's a terrifying situation. So can I just, just while we, I've, I've opened this can of worms, I mean, does that mean it's wrong for Christians to have savings or to plan for their retirement or i mean what's the what's the right place between daily trust and prudence for the future yeah thanks we chatted about this in our study and um we're bouncing around i'm the wife of noble character in proverbs 31 someone mentioned um uh you know she buys a field she's not going to see the return on that for a while she's probably got to plant the orchard and and she's planning for the future so that she's not going to be without when hard times come and so on and and the proverbs commend that sort of approach what, what it's part of our love for neighbor that we don't want to be constantly dependent on others so we need to be trying to think of situations where we can um, provide for ourselves um, but th- here right at the beginning of um, God's people there, he's told but beware the anxious hoarder is the person who's not a believer mm. um, so we need to just be aware of our hearts in that so what uh, is our bank balance? actually because we don't think the lord is real um i guess oftentimes that idolatry is a good thing gone mad isn't it so prudence for the future is good but hoarding for the future is bad and it's there are barns that you can build and jesus says you fool yeah exactly Mm. um and going on from this not only are they to realize that god can be trusted they don't have to anxiously hoard but he then gives another test about the Sabbath. Um, and this, I think, would have been amazing for these guys. They've been slaves in Egypt, and yet here they get enshrined in when you're my people, 
you get a day off every week and it's going to be great. Um, but still, it's, it's, a, it's a gift that requires trust and they fail the test. Just remind us how they fail. <laughs> they get everything exactly wrong, don't they? Because he says on every other day, do not just get today's bread, not tomorrow's. And they try getting tomorrow's and it goes mouldy with maggots. And then he says, but there's a, a difference because on the Friday night, get two days worth and don't go looking on the Sabbath because you don't need to because I provided you extra on Friday and they go looking on Saturday. So they, they kind of get it maximally wrong in both directions. Yeah, that's right. And and it's interesting that we have the Sabbath here. We've, a Sabbath first came up in right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2 and we're not yet at Sinai where it's going to be one of the Ten Commandments. But still we have this pattern that is a creation thing that they're to have one day in seven. And it's um, but it's a, a gift that needs to be received by faith because we just want to. Oh, but will my business survive if I close the doors on that day? Or um, shouldn't I just um, go back to my desk and do one last email? What What about if my competitors get ahead of me, etc.? And we have to say no. The Lord um, is going to cover. He's going to provide. And so I I can shut the books uh, if I'm studying. I can. Uh, close the doors if I've got the shop and know that God's going to look after me and so it's it's a wonderful gift to us it's really wonderful to have a day's rest and it points us forward to the the rest to come but we need to trust God in order to receive it and the reason this is so helpful we're applying it this way because um, the, the paradigm is here's the people that have been rescued out of Egypt they've been spared from God's anger by the blood of a lamb but they're not yet home so they haven't arrived at the promised land yet. They're on the way. And so that, you know, that we are in the equivalent place in the journey as Christians. We've been rescued, but we're not home yet. And so the question is, can I trust God along the way to get me safely home? Um, and these sort of daily struggles of the Christian life of trusting him on the way to the promised land. Yeah. And, and the final um, section of chapter 16, I really enjoy because they get told even at this stage, that after the 40 years, put your little bit of manna in your jar, keep it in the Ark of the Covenant next to the Ten Commandments forever. And the point is that there's um, different stages in Israel's life. They're in their infancy right now. um, And the first lesson they need to learn is, you know, provision comes from God. And it's literally bread comes from the sky. Now, that's only going to be for one short episode. For the hundreds of years after that, bread's going to come out of the oven but the point is they keep the memorial so that every time bread comes out of the oven they've had it drilled into them yes but it really comes from heaven and I thank God for it and that's so important for us that we don't live in an impersonal universe every time we have breath in our lungs food on our plates and it's only come from one place ultimately and that is the Lord has has given it to us Um, and that's it's actually it can be a mark of um i think immaturity where we um are always looking for the miraculous we we want um to pray and the you know the money the food just arrives on our plate you know <laughs> miraculously or you know in our bank account um and actually god says well no that that there was a place for that miracle every day but once you're a bit more grown up Hopefully you'll see that mostly I provide in much more ordinary ways, but you can still thank me for it. Mm. Mm. Um, 
we're going to miss our train by me asking you this question, Andrew Vice. It's detantalizing because yeah. we get these three episodes. God provides water. He provides food. He provides water. The third one, he provides water by Moses hitting a rock and water comes flowing out. And um, when we go to the New Testament and Paul is reflecting on this history, he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. They all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. And we read that and we think, what? Where did that, where did that come from? It turns out that um, Jesus was the one there giving them water in the desert. And the question is, is this a rabbit out the hat? You know, has Paul suddenly magic this out of nowhere in 1 Corinthians? Or like, no, he hasn't. <laughs> like, But in what way was Paul picking up the clues in the text that told him Jesus is here providing. Yeah, and it's a wonderful um, picture of how God embeds so much detail and beauty in the Old Testament if we will dig for it. And I, I was helped a lot by Edmund Clowney on this, but in this episode where there's the striking of the rock, um, it's kind of a court case. So the word quarrel in verse 2, rib, is a, it's a legal term describing the institution of a lawsuit. It's the one... It's used in Micah 6 um, when God brings a lawsuit against Israel. And so basically Israel are causing, calling a lawsuit against Moses. Why have you brought us into the desert to die? And God says, OK, well, let's have a, a, law, a lawsuit. Um, you can bring the elders there, the, the witnesses. You can bring the rod of judgment and we'll have a lawsuit. Um, and it turns out what we're expecting is God is going to um, give his verdict against the people and for Moses but what actually happens when they get up there is he says well bring your rod of judgment and I want you to strike I will stand in front of the rock and you're to strike the rock and it's a little picture that the only way this is going to work this relationship between God and Israel when they keep grumbling keep um, rebelling against him is if the judgments falls on God himself and then the blessing of water flows out and as Andrew said not only is this picked up by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 but in in John chapter 7 Jesus tells us that once he's struck in the language of the passage once he's glorified dies on the cross the Holy Spirit will flow out from him to quench people's thirsts so the New Testament writers say that this picture is a picture of Jesus being judged for the sin for our sin and then God blessing us uh, with you know abundant life in the holy spirit i love this because it's it's an example of where the new testament has there's sort of more there but it's all it actually was all found in exodus when you look closely so as you say when you when you read chapter 17 verse 6 carefully you realize that god is on the rock at the point that it's hit so he's going to be in the way of the swinging rod and it's yeah and and then paul sees the implications of that in the light of the gospel and it's wonderful um little postscript there's a battle with the amalekites and it's this um we'll say more about this next time probably but where moses uh, arm position is directly responsible for the outcome of the battle so when he gets weary and his arms lower they lose when his hands are lifted up in prayer to the lord and uh, the battle's won and it's telling us both that god is the one who wins the battle but it's as his people depend on him so that again earlier we saw god does it alone like the fight with the egyptians at the sea 
they were not really involved. They just were bystanders who watched. But in this battle, um, they d- God does it with their help or with their, their active trust in him. And it requires not only Moses lifting up his hands to the altar, but all the people holding up Moses' hands because he's getting weary to lift up the altar. Um, as they go on trusting the Lord, then in his strength, they're able to win this battle. Um, and it becomes a, a kind of, it depends on how you know your Old Testament, but the Amalekites will be blotted out from heaven. And I think I think this is meant to be a joke in verse 14. Right as a memorial that I will blot out the memory of Amalek. So remember that this is a very forgettable people and it is a little sort of wordplay pun. But specifically, make sure Joshua reads this. And it's another little lovely forward-looking thing that this lesson of God's persistent faithfulness that he provides, that he defeats enemies, that you're going to need to remember that. And specifically, Joshua is going to need to remember that because he's to be the one who will go into battle. And he's got to know that if he goes into battle trusting in the Lord, um, he will win. Thank you for listening to GracePod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.